Good morning. Thought I'd try the uh, traditional pulpit greeting, but that didn't go over so well. Um, <clears throat> so as Jeremy was talking about uh, a little while ago um, with worship, one of the things that we're going to be talking about today specifically uh, is things that God has brought us through different trials and uh, difficult circumstances. Um, and not only that part of it and God seeing you through it, but also then remembering what he's done, the neat things that he's brought you through. Um, one of the neat things about um, that Live Well study, uh, hopefully you've been going through, Anna and I have, and we've really enjoyed it, um, is that this week it's going to be talking through every night, uh, remembering things that God has done uh, in the Bible and, and in your life. Um, but we, most of you know, we have a little bit of a story that we've been through. That's Just a happen. little one. Yeah, I'm already getting emotional. This is nuts. Um, but we have a, yeah, a little bit of a story that um, we're going to be talking through at a high level. Most of you are at least somewhat familiar with it. Um, but then we're going to be talking through some really neat things that uh, we got to see God do. So, um, eight months ago, this Wednesday already, it's amazing how fast time flies, um, Ann and I were having the, the typical Saturday, went out for breakfast as a family, and watched some football, um, and then Declan was down for a nap. Uh, after the football game was over, we got Declan up from his nap, and uh, we were going to go for a bike ride. Uh, it was a beautiful day out, so um, Ann and I went into our bedroom to change to get ready for the uh, the bike ride, and uh, this is almost a miracle. Declan at that point uh, was playing by himself in the living room, which did not happen very often, so we thought we'd take advantage of it, so I just went into our bedroom, and um, I laid on the floor, and Anna sat on the edge of the bed, and after about a minute, I looked up, um, and over at Anna, and I could tell that something wasn't right. Her head was in her hands, and the downside to remembering these things. <laughs> um, I could see that in her eyes something wasn't right. Um, so anyway, at that moment, um, Anna had had a uh, subarachnoid hemorrhage or a uh, ruptured brain aneurysm, and you can take it from there. Um, if you can go to the first slide. The next one. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so this is just the very first um, place where we saw God's sovereignty, where he had this all planned out from the very beginning. Um, my neurosurgeon said that I most likely had this, this aneurysm in my brain um, for my entire life, and it just so happened to rupture um, in our bedroom when Nate was five feet from me. He wasn't at work. He wasn't running errands. Um, he, was, he was right by my side. Um, so basically how this all happened, I was, like he said, sitting on the edge of our bed, and all of a sudden, I just got the most intense headache that I've ever felt in my entire life. Um, it felt like there was a balloon in my head, and it was just filling with tar. And pretty soon, it felt like it had no, nowhere else to go. Um, there was just so much pressure. Um, I've had pregnancy headaches or migraines before, but this one was just, like, constant. It was, I mean, it was just right there so fast and so intense. Um, so that was the first time that I felt this little nudge from the Holy Spirit. Um, and normally I try and downplay, you know, if I have a headache or another migraine, I get them a lot, it seems like. So I don't always tell Nate. Um, but I felt this nudge just to let Nate know how serious I thought this was. Um, but I just kind of brushed it aside. Um, Nate ended up getting me some Tylenol. I thought that would fix it, no problem. Um, then everything started spinning. Um, I was sweating. You know, it felt like it was 90 degrees in our house. Um, so it was then in our bedroom after 
longer than I'd like to admit, um, that I gave into that nudge, and I said, Nate, something's seriously wrong here. Um, my head hurts so bad, and I'm scared. Um, so, and I don't know how to explain that nudge, but a couple weeks ago, Nate and I were um, reading our Bible in John 10, and it talked about the shepherd and his sheep, and how um, the shepherd calls out to his sheep, and the sheep listen to his voice, and they know his voice. Um, and that's the only thing I can think of, is I know my shepherd's voice, and I'm just thankful that, you know, even though I push it aside more times than I'd like to admit, I'm just thankful that the Holy Spirit kept pursuing me to, to have me tell Nate what was going on. Um, so from that point, Nate helped me into the bathroom, and I was vomiting in the toilet. Um, and at this point, I was blacking in and out, going in and out of consciousness. Um, and my fingers and toes started cramping together. It's really weird. I couldn't straighten them. Um, so I called out to Nate. I said, Nate, I'm cramping. And he immediately thought it was the baby. Um, again, I was 25 weeks pregnant at this point. So he was on the phone with my OB. Um, and, of course, it was Saturday, so they were closed. So they gave him the whole spiel about they'll call the on-call doctor and get back with us within 30 minutes. Um, but they said, if, if you think she's bad enough, then call 911. Um, so Nate helped me to the floor. At this point, I was blacked out. Um, I lost control of my bladder on the floor. Which I let it slide this time. <laughs> I was blacked out, so it wasn't my fault. <laughs> um, and then, so he could tell that something was seriously wrong. So he was on the phone with 911, and they had him ask me some questions to raise both arms. Uh, and I thought I was, but apparently only my right one raised. And then um, Nate asked me to give him a big smile, and only the right side of my face went up. So paralysis was starting on the left side of my body. Um, so that was kind of their key, you know, knowing that something was seriously wrong here. So uh, ambulance was rushed to our house, and we were sent to Helen Hospital where they um, did a CT scan and figured out I had a severe ruptured brain aneurysm. Um, this picture up here is not Anna's favorite, just in case you're wondering. Um, she didn't let me put this on Facebook earlier, but thankfully uh, you let me put it in the slideshow. Um, by the way, between this picture and finding out that I lost control of my bladder on the floor, I feel like you guys know me at a very intimate level. So, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> um, so, what, we, what Anna just talked about, um, the first uh, part of God's sovereignty that we saw had to do with timing. Um, I mean, with Anna having this aneurysm probably in her brain, uh, most of her 27 years that God allowed that it ruptured when I was there was really cool. Um, the second one also has to do with timing. Um, so the ambulance first took us to um, Holland Hospital, and there they gave her a CT scan. Um, it's going to be an emotional wreck this morning. Um, so I, when I took this picture, I literally thought this was the last picture. That uh, I might take my wife while she was alive. Which, speaking of trials that God, bring, God brings you through, that's a pretty, pretty low spot to be. Um, so, anyway, sorry about that. Um, one of the other pieces of God's sovereignty that we saw, so after they gave the CT scan, decided or discovered it was a ruptured brain aneurysm, um, rushed Anna, or both of us, over to Spectrum Grand Rapids. And a really neat story that we heard later was that one of the ER nurses at Holland Hospital um, told us that in all of her years at working at Holland Hospital in the ER, she's never seen that quick of a turnaround between getting somebody checked into the ER in Holland Hospital and turned around and gotten out to Spectrum. Um, and really the reason why that's so neat is that one of the phrases we started hearing at Spectrum uh, very repeatedly was that time is brain, and the quicker that you get to something like this to treat it and uh, uh, start to recover, the better and the more likely uh, the chance there is that the patient will recover. 
If you switch to the next screen, uh, you know what? Not that one. Sorry, go back. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> anyway, so I got to Spectrum in Grand Rapids, and then one of the things they started doing uh, almost immediately was um, testing on a cognitively every 20 minutes or so, uh, uh, every 20 minutes on the hour for, for hours on end. Um, so they just ask questions like, what month is it? Um, who's the president of the United States? Um, eight months ago, it wasn't always my favorite answer, but uh, I digress. Um, so they asked her these questions every 20 minutes, um, so she wasn't able to get sleep. And finally, at about 4.30 in the morning, the reason they, they asked those questions is because um, the pressure in the brain uh, is so high with the, the blood that's leaking into her brain, it's causing a lot of pressure. Um, and once it starts to impair cognitive abilities, then they know it's getting very serious and they need to act more quickly. Um, and this is all going on while they were deciding uh, which route as far as surgery, arthroscopically or not. So at about 4.30 in the morning, Sunday morning, um, they put a drain into Anna's head. They drilled through her skull and put in a drain uh, in the middle of her brain. And it's about four or five inches long or so. And uh, just to re remove some of that fluid, normally our brains take care of that for us or our heads to, to regulate that pressure all the time. Uh, just another miracle of, of how God made us. So they put the drain in and then, um, well, and the, kind of a funny story about that. So they started asking these questions where they kept asking them. And then about 4.30 in the morning, they'd ask Anna what month it was. And it was fall. She said apple crisp. Um, <laughs> And they, they asked who the president was, and she said Sandy Pines. Um, so they knew things were getting pretty, pretty serious. Um, so three hours later, 8.30 in the morning, um, they decided to do the, the surgery where they actually remove part of the skull um, and go in and then uh, put a clamp on the ruptured aneurysm um, to, to stop the aneurysm from bleeding. So it was about a three-hour surgery, and um, two kind of cool things about this. Just again, one more thing of God's sovereignty. Um, I was 25 weeks pregnant, you know, at the time. The neurosurgeon that God handpicked just for us, his wife was 24 weeks pregnant. So um, he was telling Nate the entire time, you know, every decision that I made for you and your baby, I was thinking, if this was my wife, if this was my child, what would I want to do? Um, so that just gave Nate and the rest of our family just a lot of peace. Um, so really cool. You know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a surgeon who thought that this life growing inside me was just a stack of tissue. You know, he really, he really cared. Um, and then during the surgery, they were monitoring Hudson the entire time to make sure he wasn't getting too, you know, stressed and that his heartbeat was strong. And at one point, they thought they lost his heartbeat. Um, so they rushed in an ultrasound machine, and they found that they couldn't find, the reason they couldn't hear his heartbeat was because it was perfectly in sync with mine. Um, and I just think that's God's little way of, of saying, you know what, I love you both so much, and I've got this, and I'm going to get you through this. Um, if you want to move to the next slide, um, Anna and I were both overwhelmed and still are at the level of support that we got from um, not only all of you in our church, but in other churches in the area um, and, and really around the world with people praying for us. Um, which I think had an absolute direct impact in Anna's recovery. Um, and this is kind of a, kind of a neat thing. Um, this is a screenshot that I took of my phone. Uh, I don't search my name very often on Facebook, uh, but Angela Kunkel let me know that um, I was trending on Facebook, or our story was. So I decided to start typing my name in. And if you look at that third row down, I don't know if you guys can read it that far away or not. Um, but under my name, it says, Popular Search, 55,122 people talking about this. Um, and who cares about the trending part? I mean, it's kind of cool, I guess. But um, just the fact that um, the body of Christ was spreading this literally all over the world, um, and in most cases, people who didn't even know us. Um, while we were in the hospital, I got hundreds of messages in Facebook, through Facebook, 
And a lot of them started with, hi, Nate, you don't know me, but, you know, my family's praying for you. We heard of it through this mutual friend or, I mean, literally from countries all over the world. Um, but one of those, uh, another one from somebody that we didn't know was a pretty cool story that I was going to read for you. Yeah, so this was a girl named Next Tara. Slide. Next slide, please. Um, who Facebook messaged Nate, and this is what she said. She said, hello, Nate. We don't know each other, but between your wife and... I'll read it this way. Um, but between your wife and yourself, we have a few mutual friends, and I have been following your story and praying for you guys. I wanted to share a little story that happened this morning. I do online customer service for a retail company based in Colorado. This morning, when replying to a customer complaint, I entered the woman's name into our system. Her name was Susan S. and hit enter. While waiting for her profile to load, I switched tabs and was looking at Facebook. I read your prayer request that you posted this morning. I stopped there and prayed. I then went back to my customer profile window, and the name that was showing was Anna Heal. I had a few different windows going with different things, but could not figure out where I had pulled this name from. Then it hit me. God is the miracle worker, and he is the ultimate great physician. Keep trusting, and I will keep praying. May the Lord bless you and your wife and your boys. Um, so just one example of many of just of the really neat stories that we heard. I mean, this is just a crazy story of how God did something with this woman's computer that uh, blows our minds, but um, lots of stories like that. Uh, if you can move to the next slide. Not really a whole huge point to this uh, picture. This is just Anna's neurosurgeon, Justin Singer, did a fantastic job, and we both hold him in very high regard. Mm -hmm. um, so you can move to the next slide. So um, this is a picture, obviously, of Anna in her hospital uh, bed and spectrum, and that little brown tube, uh, orange brown tube, is that drain that's going into Anna's head, uh, which was constantly removing excess fluid and blood, uh, but also monitoring the pressure that was in her head. And if you can move to the next slide, um, if you can see, it's a little, little fuzzy, but this is the drain. Um, right after the PA, Jeremy had pulled the, the drain out of Anna's head, so that little tube, four to five or six inches, was right in the middle of her brain, constantly draining fluid. Uh, but throughout the process, um, after, after a majority of the recovery, one of the things that need, they need to do at some point is take the, the drain out. Um, and something that's really important is um, that the brain needs to figure out how to regulate that pressure on its own again, and it, it's not always the case that that happens. Um, so it's something that, that we really wanted to, to happen, obviously. Um, and if you can switch to the next slide. So this is a, a monitor of um, Anna's vitals, a lot of different numbers going on, a lot of things that they were checking. Um, but one of the things that they were um, checking, constantly monitoring, uh, as I mentioned before, was the pressure that's in, in Anna's head. Um, the average person's pressure at any given moment is between a 10 and a 15. Um, and then if you'd sneeze or cough really hard, that would jump up to between a 20 and a 25. And then your brain would regulate that back down to between a 10 and a 15. Um, so at, uh, towards the beginning, before the, the brain surgery, Anna's was up to a 40, so very high level of pressure. Um, and this is the part where I'm, I'm probably really going to lose my emotion, so my apologies. Um, but uh, something really neat that happened. So um, it was a couple weeks into being in the, uh, in the hospital, and Pastor Clint had come up that day and um, spent some time together, walked around Grand Rapids and checked out some R-Prize stuff. And um, earlier that day, they had, uh, so in that process of taking the drain out, the first thing they do is they shut it off um, and see what the pressure inside the head does. Um, that's testing it basically to see if it's going to regulate it again on its own or not. Um, so they had shut the, the drain off, and <clears throat> so a few hours later, um, after Clint and I were done hanging out, then I walked uh, back into the hospital room, 
And uh, one of the nurses caught me before I went in the room and said, hey, um, that number is elevated quite a bit uh, between an 18 and a 20. It's been there for quite a while. Um, the doctors were pretty sure that she failed the first test, and, and that's, that's okay. Sometimes it takes two or three tries. Um, but I spent uh, a little bit of time in prayer. I had a little heart-to-heart -heart. Uh, with God again. I had a lot of those um, over this, the course of these weeks. Um, so this, this number uh, had been between an eight, 18 and a 20 um, for, for a substantial amount of time. And um, so I was praying over Anna and um, just declaring that... Just declaring that... Uh, declaring that God would heal her completely. Um, and um, one of the things that I, I, I've never really done this before, but you know how Gideon laid out the fleece. I don't know if that's considered testing God or not. Um, but I said, in Jesus' name, I want her to be fully healed. And if you're going to heal her, I want to see a number 12 up on, that, up on the screen on the monitor. And so it had been between 18 and 20 for a long time. I had been kind of watching it still while I was praying. I said, I want to see a 12 on that monitor. I don't know why I picked it. just picked it out of, out of thin air. I kid you not, within 30 seconds to a minute. The number worked its way down to a 12. Long enough for me to take this picture, and then it moved back up. And the significance of that is that this number was a constant monitoring of the pressure in Anna's head. So either A... God changed the pressure in Anna's head um, to directly respond to me, or he just changed the monitor, uh, either of which are very cool. But I've never seen God work like that before. Um, and it was just the most, I mean, besides being saved, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me in my life, and I will never forget it. Um, and just wanted to share that with you. Uh, if, you mind, if you don't mind changing to the next slide. Uh, so this is our chest freezer at home. Um, still completely full. Um, we've probably put two things in it from the grocery store um, since we've had it ourselves. Um, a month before the aneurysm, we got this chest freezer um, to put in our basement. We put it in our basement. It was still in the box. Uh, a week before Anna's aneurysm ruptured, I took it out of the box. There's an empty chest freezer just sitting in our basement that we didn't have before. Um, fast forward a week, all of a sudden you guys and other churches in the area and family and friends are making us all these freezer meals where we didn't have the space before. And all of a sudden, we have this chest freezer that God provided. So just, a, you know, it's not as significant maybe as the, the other neat stuff that happened, but just a small way that God showed us that he loved us. And he, we could talk for hours about this stuff, but he literally took care of every single detail, all the way from the biggest stuff without his brain to, uh, to little details like this. And just a reminder that he, he really cares for us and provides. So if you could change it to the next slide. We just have a couple of takeaways um, that we want to share with you guys and that we took away from this whole aneurysm experience. Um, the first one is just to be ready. Um, the first thing that doctors or the neurosurgeons asked me if it was if I was a heavy smoker or drinker, uh, because apparently these aneurysms only happen or typically happen to people who do smoke or drink a lot, um, both of which I do not. Um, but this just goes to show that this can happen, you know, to anyone. And for whatever reason, God just chose it to happen to me and um, allowed me to live through it by His grace. Um, so. 
just with that point, we all need to be ready, right? None of us know if we have tomorrow. So we just want to encourage you guys, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you know, talk with your parents, talk with leaders at the church. Um, start living today in his grace and his truth and forgiveness and love um, because there's nothing else like it. Um, number two is to expect great things. Um, I wonder how many blessings we miss out on simply because we do not ask. Um, in these Facebook posts, so many times he was saying, pray expectantly. Um, and we witnessed so many, so many prayer requests, so many miracles. Um, so we just encourage you guys to not be afraid to pray big prayers. You know, what is your number 12? Um, God wants to bless us immeasurably, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, and we just need to give him the opportunity to do so. And lastly, God is real, he's alive, and he's active. Um, this is one of the biggest lessons that I learned. I knew that he was real and alive before. We all know that, or hopefully you do. Um, but he's also very active. Um, when I was looking at that monitor and God moved the numbers directly for me uh, per my request, it just blew me away that the creator of the universe, literally the God that holds the matter together, um, come on, <laughs> of the universe, was there in that room with me and, and changed that for me. But just know that he's active and he wants to work. Um, we just need to ask him. But we witnessed God working so many times, not only on the medical side of things, but also through all of you and other believers around the world. Um, the body of Christ is just incredible. Uh, but you've shown us love like we've never experienced before. Uh, we're forever grateful for that. Um, and, and this miracle, too, to um, elaborate a little further, not really elaborate, but um, keep it in context. This is an incredible, or a series of incredible miracles that God did. But the most incredible thing that he did was to send his son to die for us. Um, something that, giving me that free gift that I know I don't deserve. Um, but he not only, you know, his son sacrificed his life, but then God raised him from the dead, the greatest miracle uh, in the world, and he offers that free gift to us. Um, so, in line with remembrances, um, like we've been talking about, um, we're going to watch a short video, and then we're going to transition to the remembrance of what Christ did for us through communion. Well, I yell y'all too. <laughs> well, what do you say to that? You say praise the Lord, don't you? You say praise the Lord. Okay, I want you to say praise the Lord one more time because um, if you're cool with the fact that this service is going to go about 15 minutes over, could you say praise the Lord? Can you, can you live with that? <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right? Because we're going <clears> to... <throat> We're going to now remember the Lord, and we're going to go to Psalm 77 uh, to feed our souls, to be nourished by the holy word of God and God's speech. Um, and one of the things that I'm just going to go ahead and make this application because it's not in my notes and I don't want to forget about it is Nate and Anna showed you the providential work of God and tried to, sh to find the footprints and fingerprints of God in their 18-day journey. Let me tell you something. They're not even close. They're not even close to discovering all that God was doing during that time. They, they pulled down a few anchors and, a good, and some reminders, and they've reached back, but they aren't even close. When all is revealed one day and they get the full story from God, they will fall on their knees in worship. 
what happened in their lives. And that's us too. We can reach by faith and pull down the great things of God in our lives as well. We can reach forward. We can reach back. We can reach forward to the promises and we can reach back to the proof of God's constant working in our lives. And that is what Psalm 77 is all about. As we uh, head there, I want to remind you that tonight at the One Heart at a Time class, we're going to be sharing our stories with each other. If you have not prepared your testimony... If you're saying, well, maybe I'll never get asked to be next up here on a communion Sunday as long as I don't prepare my testimony. I'm telling you, you're living outside of God's will for your life. Um, come on, be obedient. Let's prepare your testimony um, together with others that are also going to share. And we're going to establish who we're going to invite to Memorial Day breakfast so we can, one heart at a time, walk with some of our neighbors right into this building. Also, uh, some of the ladies, will be talking to them about the summer of encouragement from the women's ministry and how you can one heart at a time that. There's a ton of one heart at a time stuff going on this summer. There's young men's basketball at 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoons. There's the summer of encouragement from the ladies. Uh, there is a men's uh, golf outing uh, the first Saturday in June. Plenty of stuff stuff going on, but that summer of inc- that this summer also needs people like yourself to be servants. And so we actually need 30 more kitchen staff and food distributors and table setters and all those things for the Memorial Day breakfast. Kristen Fanton puts on an incredible breakfast for us and takes uh, just such, with such precision. Uh, handles every single detail, but that requires 60 or more volunteers uh, to pull that off, and we need 30 more. And so I want you to go out to the first serve kiosk after this, and I want you to sign up. And yeah, I want you to get up on Memorial Day at 5.30 in the morning like I have eight straight years, and for a ninth year, I'm going to do this year and come out and help us um, to reach a, uh, our, our friends and our neighbors and uh, to be a good neighbor to the community. Last year, we served 620 people. That's a lot of people to get in here between 7 and 9 a.m. Next week in Live Well, we're going to be talking about being God's steward, studying Genesis chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 6. But today in the Word, we're going to discover the emotional muscles and the faith strength that comes from remembering the Lord. In Joshua chapter 4, Joshua sets up 12 stones of remembrance right in front of the people Israel after they have crossed the river Jordan and into the promised land. One stone for each tribe. Crossing it took only a day, but getting there took 40 years. There was a long period of discipline before the fulfillment of that promise. Why did Joshua set up those stones? Because God told him to. God knows we need to be rememberers. And why is that? Because we are forgetterers. And so those stones were set up so that every time they would come to that Jordan, they would know that they crossed by dry land. Joshua explained why the 12 stones are set up, one for each tribe, meaning every single person of God's promised people is represented in that remembrance. And it says in Joshua, when your children ask their fathers in times... This stuff's supposed to be passed on from generation to generation. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did the Red Sea when he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. God wants rememberers. 
And there's always a time to be remembering the Lord. Some short-term missionaries are going to be right here in our church at the 11 o'clock hour, remembering out loud God's work in Haiti. And I hope that you will stay for that. They'll be sharing here to feed our faith, not just to give a report to justify why we go to such great expense to send out short-term missionaries, but to welcome your worship and to grow your faith in a God who is always working to help you be, be a better rememberer. So there's always a time to be remembering the Lord. And we do that once a month too with the communion. And I, and I remind you that we're about to receive the Lord's communion. Be prepared for that. Start preparing your heart even now for the communion. But let's look at the psalm for just a few moments here this morning. Verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 77. What we see there is a stretched out and a longing soul. The psalmist cries out. It says there in the text, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Wow. This is hard stuff. What a way to start the psalm. If you've been in this particular emotional, emotionally bereft and soul-dry moment at least once in your life, congregation, can you say, I've been there? Yeah, I've been there. I've been there. I've been in this place before. Surely I've been sapped. I've moaned and I've felt faint. But many great moments are preceded by a great cry for help. Many great moments with God working in our lives are preceded by a great cry for help. But some, some would choose to remain in their misery. They would only seek comfort from others or continue to repeat like an unbroken record all of their misery. Hey, guess what? When I'm miserable, I'm often a miserable person to be around. Are you a Debbie Downer or a Wally Whiner? Do you just sort of park your emotions in a downward spiral and just keep on going down, down, down? Pretty good when I whine. I sound like you guys. I don't mean like whiners. I mean like Midwesterners or whatever we are, Southwest Michiganers. Yeah, are you a Debbie Downer? Are you a Wally Whiner? Some people would want to just stop right there and just dwell in their misery, but not what the psalmist does here. Here's what the psalmist is going to do. And by the way, he's not going to go, oh, I need to get over it. Oh, well, let me, let me just distract myself. Let me go on Facebook and, and send a few notes out and, and let, me, let me go for a walk. No, he actually searches even more. Look at verses four through six. You hold my eyelids open. He's saying, my search, is, I, I'm not going to even take rest in my search. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. He's chosen to allow the auger of his suffering to drill even further into his soul. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent Search And think about verse 5. Haven't you also been there going, Oh, it was so much better back when. It was so much better. Don't you remember when we, and we had these, and these friends, and we did. 
And actually, the back wind wasn't controlled by circumstances, but by a God who was faithful and a God who could be faithful today. But sometimes we just long for the years of long ago. But his spirit makes a diligent search. Instead of trying to shorten a painful process, the psalmist presses through even more pain. How are your faith muscles? How are your emotional muscles? Could you take more in your quest to meet the God who is faithful, the God of has said of great loving kindness, instead of shutting off, shutting down, shutting out, like we do sometimes to God, to our spouses, to our brothers and sisters, this psalmist, he presses on. He journeys on. Instead of abandoning the quest to find God's favor and kindness, he flexes his emotional and faith muscles again, and he reaches and stretches even further for God. Amazing. If you've ever read the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings by J.R. Tolkien, if you don't have stamina and endurance, you're not going to make it through the books. Because wow, does Tolkien drag it out. Oh, the journey is to Mordor, to the Mount of Mordor, to get, to get rid of this ring. It takes forever. And there are so many losses along the way. Boromir dies. The hobbits are, are separated and captured by orcs. Bilbo, Frodo's uncle, has to be sent home because he's so marked by the evil. There's so many losses along the way, and yet they keep going and going and going and going. It'll wear you out. And Tolkien has a purpose in all of that. He wants us to emote. He wants us to feel with the characters. But when the journey is over, he also wants us to look back. And to see the providence of all that had taken place in order to get to that great moment in victory. Isaiah says in Isaiah 41 verse 10, Fear not, for I am with thee. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand of my righteousness. You know, today we live in a culture of manipulation, emotional manipulation, emotional suppression, emotional deception. We try to hoodwink ourselves into feeling better. We try to medicate ourselves into feeling better. We try to distract ourselves into feeling better. We try to force others to make us feel better. We want less pain and more comfort and more joy. Wouldn't it be great if we just had this little switch on our chests and that could reduce our feelings when we didn't want them? We'd just, just, just send it down to zero. All right, when we're feeling sad and we're feeling bad and we're down and we're discouraged, feelings like pain and sorrow, discouragement and depression, we just send it down to zero. But then when joy and comfort come, we could send it all the way up to a perfect 10. Wouldn't that be great? Today, in our culture, a person consult, can consult money, food, hobbies, doctors, and a thousand other idols so much more in this cosmos to attempt to avoid or manipulate emotion. But the psalmist journeys through pain. The psalmist works through it. He accepts the emotional dilemma that life is living in this broken world. He accepts the emotional dilemma even for the people of Israel, for whatever discipline they are under at that moment, because his faith 
has permission to emote to God and to receive emotional encouragement and strength from God. Let me tell you something, church. You can share your heart with God. You can emote to God. You can go to the bottom of your soul, the very depth of all of your emotions, and let God see that blackness and that darkness and that pain and that suffering. And you can dance with the Lord God Almighty. You can share your heart with God. Because God, with great design and very particular intent, has made us feelers. God gives us our emotions. If we didn't have deep emotion and feeling, would we bond in our relationships? Would we would talk about deliverance from an aneurysm and to go, huh, cool, right? Would we show the loyal character of God to those that we love? Would we weep with those who weep? And would we dance with those who dance and rejoice with those who rejoice? No, God gives us our emotions intentionally and with great design. Who would we ever know the heart of God and how it feels to a, to a, toward a world scarred and dying from sin? How would we know God's great rejoicing in a sinner who is saved, as he expresses in Luke 15? Yes, your emotions are by design. Yes, many times your emotions get in the way. Yes, many times your emotions aren't handled very well, even by your closest loved one. But God, your lover, can handle you in your emotional state. You can laugh, you can cry, you can ache, you can shout, you can whimper, you can moan, you can giggle before God. Your emotions, when directed by faith, can even make you more like the Almighty. Elizabeth Elliot says this, Our vision of life is so limited we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protecting us from suffering. The love of God did not protect his own son. He will not necessarily protect us, not from anything that it takes to make us more like his son a lot of hammering and chiseling and purifying by fire will have to go in the process the psalmist presses on through pain hey i'd love to have a volunteer what i'm going to do is i'm going to grab a hammer and i'm just going to hit that volunteer in the knee with that hammer and that person is going to go ow that really hurts and i'm going to go yeah it does and then i'm going to do it more and more and more and more do i have a volunteer Yeah, we don't like pain. We don't like pain. But we can bring our pain to God. We can share our pain with God, even when our pain comes to that moment where we are asking a question. Because look at verses 7 through 9. It says there, basically the psalmist is going, has God changed? Has God abandoned me? Could it be possible that God is going to withhold himself from me forever? Look, he says, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Tell me you haven't been there. Tell me if you were at the hospital in the first three hours, if in just three hours, after a lifetime of blessing, in just three hours, when the numbers were at 40, you wouldn't be ready for that question already. God, where are you? 
Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? I've been there too. Did Nate's heart probably want to go there when he saw his wife attached to tubes and wires in a hospital bed? Sometimes our faith muscles, they sag. Instead of flexing, they fail. And we actually do wonder if God cares, if his love and his mercy will return. And I've got great news for you even in this. Even when you become, you go from downer to doubter, it's okay with God. The unchanging God doesn't look down from heaven and go, oh no, they doubt me. Because there in the question, the psalmist recognizes the need for the spurning onward. He recognizes the need and the distance that if he didn't go so far, far, far away emotionally, he wouldn't long for close, 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 closeness. Can you, at the moment that your soul is stretched completely out, that your arms are weary, are weary of reaching, where you have reached rock bottom and the pain quotient is at a perfect 10, can you then say, as the psalmist will say in the next verse, I will remember the Lord? After the emotional marathon is run by the psalmist, even to the point of doubt, there is still the faith strength to say in the very next verse, I accept my suffering, but I will remember the Lord. Remembering the Lord is a choice. Remembering the Lord is a faith muscle that's got to be exercised. It's a greater strength than all of the emotional muscles put together. The faith muscle that says, I will remember the Lord. It says in verse 10, then I said, I will appeal to this, to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. That takes faith at that point to say that. And there's such beauty in that section. There's such beauty in the stability of the faith muscle and the person that's quivering all over, that's shaking and crying. And the psalmist says, I've accepted this suffering for what it is, but I'm banking my life on redemption. You can go there, emoter. You can go there with your faith muscle, Christian, and bank on redemption. Hey, can you turn your heart? Do you know the exercises necessary to get out of the Debbie Downer phase and the Wally Weiner phase and back to a great remembrance of the Lord? Yesterday I was cutting grass and, and we have some neighbors and they've started coming uh, to church that we've been inviting them and, and, and his daughters, they, they go to children's ministry and his son now is involved in, in middle school and this girl's name is Addie and she's a real sweet girl and she just loves making friends. And so whenever she's out on her bicycle with her training wheels, she goes, I basket! And I go, hey! And uh, I shout back down. Well, yesterday she was at the mailbox. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, I get my daddy's mail. And I said, is there any princess mail in there for you? And she went, what? I said, is there any princess mail in there for you? And just the thought of it turned her heart. She looked down at the mail and she started sorting through it and looking for any type of princess mail in there. 
She searched and searched. She actually, in just the suggestion of the idea that there could be princess male and it could be for her, she goes through it and she goes, No! I said, Well, maybe tomorrow! Bad pastor, false hopes, bad pastor. But anyway, there's such beauty in that. Where do you get your heart to go when it's time to reflect, when it's time to pause, and it's time to reach from your soul? Where do you get your heart to go? Can you be convinced again of the unchanging God whose primary emotion to you is his unfailing love? Can you say the Lord's mercies are new every morning? Great is your faithfulness. It is because of the great love of God that we are not consumed. Can you reach all the way to the ancient days, reaching back through eternity past through the ancient of days and claim all of his mighty acts as the psalmist will do in the next verses and make them reminders to your soul? Because remembering the Lord is a choice. Can you reach forward into the future promises of God and also have them inform your heart to inform your soul? We cannot control what may befall us, but we can control what we recall. Debbie Downer, Wally Weiner, what are you recalling all the time? You walking in misery? It's a choice. Faith walker, faith journeyer, there may be more pain ahead, but what are your stones of remembrance? What are you reaching back and what are you reaching for too? Has your faith recall even helped others? What are you sharing? Just your pain or the God who knows your pain? I will remember the Lord. I will once again go over what God has done. I will inform my soul not by my current circumstances but with an unchanging God. Let's remember the Lord this morning in communion. Let's remember that we might feel so low, so down that we become dust. We might feel knee-high to a grasshopper where we can play handball with the curb. That's how low we can feel. And yet our God, through his son, Jesus Christ, went lower. He went to the grave for us. From a great height, he voluntarily came down and went down, down, all the way to where he became sin for us, died for us, and went to that grave for us. And then, after the suffering and anguish, he rose from the grave. The communion is the gospel to us. And those who partake of the communion are people who are gospel people. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's no point in taking the communion because you won't remember what it really means. All it is is just a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice. I mean, um, and in, even in taking the communion, you can't really remember God's great love for you until you have personalized it and you have realized that you are that sinner that Jesus died for on the cross to take your sin away so that you could live with your loving, eternal Father forever. 
And so my urging to you is if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, that today you would become one so that you could truly experience the communion the way God wants it to be experienced as a remembrance of his great love for us, as a remembrance of the fact that we are the people of God and that we belong to him. And I would urge you just in this transition as we prepare to receive the, the bread and we prepare to receive the cup, I would urge you in just in these moments to flex your faith muscles a few times, to reach back, pull up a stone, pull up another stone. Remember the greatness of the Lord your God. If you got pain, share it. If you got suffering, share it. If you have to say even by faith, I'm willing to search even more and go into more pain in my life just to get to that statement. I will, I will, I will remember the Lord.